Hi, readers. Welcome to Books Connect Us from Penguin Random House. This is a podcast about staying connected with each other and the stories and authors who inspire us. Curtis Sittenfeld is the New York Times bestselling author of novels Prep, American Wife, Sisterland, and Eligible. Her latest is the much-anticipated Rodham, a novel that imagines a deeply compelling what might have been. What if Hillary Rodham hadn't married Bill Clinton? Brilliantly weaving a riveting fictional tale into actual historical events, Rodham delivers an uncannily astute and witty story for our times. So now let's join Read It Forward's Abby Wright in conversation with Curtis Sittenfeld. Curtis Sittenfeld, it's so good to get to talk to you today. First off, how are you doing? Um, well, one, it's lovely to talk to you always. Um, and again, uh, I'm I'm doing okay overall. Um, you know, it's obviously really uh, sort of very unusual and bleak times. Um, but in that context, I would say I'm fine. And um, what, if anything, is keeping you sane in quarantine right now? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like I like how you asked that. Um, wait, I'm gonna look to make sure I describe this correctly. I'll um, okay. So the Suwanee Review is doing these letters called um, Corona correspondences, um, which are like writers who just write in about sort of like their daily life, and you know, it's like most of them are are presented as letters. So that's like an example of something. Look, I, I I think, I mean, I read a lot of news articles um, and then I try to read some stuff that has nothing to do with the pandemic. But I do think there's something about kind of like art that is already metabolizing the pandemic or kind of like, you know, showing how it feels to be in this moment. And that's so the Swanee Review, I think, is doing an interesting job. I, I have to say I have loved the so far in the, the moment when we're speaking, there have been two SNL at home episodes and the third is tomorrow, which I'm already, you know, eagerly anticipating. And then the other thing, um, do you ever listen to the podcast Heavyweight hosted by Jonathan Goldstein? Yes, I do. Have you listened to the, um, like, uh, checking in episodes of Heavyweight? You know, I'm a few weeks behind, but I have them saved, uh, like, you know, for the next time I get bored, so yeah, it should yeah, be any minute yeah, now, honestly. Yeah, they're, they're, I think they're, like, quite good and artful and, you know, like, under normal circumstances, I think that Heavyweight is this really beautiful blend of, like, sad and funny. And I'm I'm actually very impressed by the extent to which these episodes are also both sad and funny. Like, the sad part I'm not so surprised by, but the funny part is impressive. Well, I have found myself gravitating towards historical fiction because reading something set in modern day feels a little anachronistic you know like yeah, where are the masks yeah. and why are they so close to each other yeah. um and i feel like with historical fiction you expect it to be out of step with everyday life already yeah so what have you been reading i've been digging back into cannery row mm-hmm and um, Teju Cole's Open City. Mm-hmm. Would you consider um, that Teju Cole's Open City to be historical? <laughs> not really, uh. but it does feel kind of simpatico with 
what we're going through yeah, right now. Like yeah, he's a yeah. No, I I actually am. I was looking to see if there are any middle grade or YA books set during the nineteen eighteen influenza, and I I think I found one, but I I feel like there must be others. I don't know. I'm very curious. I know. I know there's one for adults that came out last year. Um, that's a novel. That's a novel. What is it? What's it called? In Philadelphia. Um, I will remember it, though. I can look as it up. Talk. Now um, that I know that it exists, I'll be able to find it. Exactly. Right. Uh, we'll circle back to that. Um, <laughs> but first, I want to talk about your forthcoming book, Rodham. Um, congratulations, first Thank of all. Thank you. Thank you. So, Rodham in a nutshell, reimagines um, sort of what happens if Hillary Rodham had never married Bill Clinton, right? Yes. So what gave you the idea to write this? So I think there are sort of two sets of circumstances that converge that made me write this. And the first is that in early 2016, an editor at Esquire magazine reached out and asked if I wanted to write a short story from the perspective of Hillary Clinton as she was accepting the Democratic nomination for president. And, you know, I don't think this would have occurred to me, but when it fell in my lap, it seemed hard to resist. You know, it just seemed very intriguing. And I, I soon realized that that for me, what made it intriguing was uh, that I had been invited to write essays uh, for, you know, like, obviously nonfiction, like about like what, what Hillary means, or, you know, just sort of analyzing her. And writing a short story, instead of the underlying question being, what do the American people think of Hillary Clinton? The question was, what does Hillary Clinton think of the American people? And I hadn't felt like I had anything to say about you know, like, or anything fresh or new to say about what do the American people think of Hillary, but I had a ton to say, more than a, one short story about what does Hillary think of all of us. So, so I wrote that story, you know, like it was an exercise in writing from her perspective. And then after the election, which certainly I'm a Democrat, I was, you know, very distressed after the 2016 election and you know have only become more so but continue to yeah be so. yeah it's not it's not unfortunately it did not blow over but um so I kind of had this realization that school children who had potentially to some degree followed the 2016 election and knew who Hillary was didn't necessarily know that Bill Clinton existed let alone that he'd been president let alone that he has this kind of complicated identity, even among Democrats. Um, and so I thought to myself, well, what if adults saw Hillary as totally separate from Bill the way children do? Oh, I love that. Um, and you really, you start this book rooted in a lot of fact. Mm -hmm. You know, you quote Hillary's real speech that she gave at Wellesley graduation in 1969. And you have a great scene with Bill and Hillary's first date. And they really did go to this empty Rothko exhibit and pick up trash in the courtyard. Um, so I want to hear from you about your research process. And how did you know what to include that was truth? And then when to fictionalize? 
So um, I had read Hillary's autobiography, Living History, in 2007, when I was researching American Wife, which is, you know, a fictionalized novel about Laura Bush, very fictionalized. Um, but I, you know, it gave me this sort of reference point for having recently been a first lady, like, not my having been a first lady, but <laughs> Hillary having been a, a recent first lady. So I feel like that, having read that book had given me some overview of her life you know you know from her childhood to sort of her political career and it's funny I'm like looking as we speak I'm looking at the bookshelf above my desk so I ended up uh you know I, there were times when I sat with that open on my lap but I also I read what happened her sort of memoir of the 2016 election I read the first 240 pages of Bill's thousand page autobiography up to the point when they get married. And then after that, it, you know, like it wasn't as useful <laughs> like, to me. I'm um, not interested in that part. <laughs> I mean, I sort of was, but I read um, a Carl Bernstein biography of Hillary called A Woman in Charge. I read, um, there's a like fascinating uh, book by a New York Times reporter named Amy Chozik that's called Chasing Hillary, where she followed Hillary, you know, sort of, from a journalistic perspective on and off for 10 years, including the 2016 campaign. And, and she gives a real sort of inside view. Um, and then there were other kind of like adjacent books, like Rebecca Traster's Good and Mad was useful to me. There's a book, it's much older, like I think it's probably at least 20 years old, called Strange Justice by Jane Mayer and Jill Abramson. That's about Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearings, although it also goes back into, I mean, even like the childhoods of Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas. Um, I There's a book called Dear Madam President by Jennifer Palmieri, who was the sort of head media person for, for Hillary's 2016 campaign. Um, I mean, that's like a sort of, that's actually still an, an incomplete summary of, of books that I, you know, borrowed from or was influenced by. But in terms of when to write when to like make stuff up and when to borrow from real life. I think it was kind of a case by case decision, but I did try to think at times very literally, like if Bill and Hillary hadn't married, what history or what, you know, big moments or small moments for them would have been different and what would have been the same? Like, what did they directly affect? And and so, for instance, you know, Bill ran, you know, he entered the presidential race in October 1991. Um, if Hillary hadn't been his wife, how would that have played out? But like Clarence Thomas's confirmation hearings, which were also in the fall of 1991, you know, it, I don't it doesn't seem like the Clintons exactly had any direct effect on that or you know or vice versa well maybe actually maybe bill's election was partly you know uh encouraged by by thomas's confirmation but mm -hmm. anyway so it was, so i mean it's at times i would think like oh this tidbit from real life is so juicy that it can't be improved upon you know by fictionalizing it and then at other times there would be some something real and I would kind of want to do a parallel version, but I think I just felt like it gave me flexibility to change it a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's really fascinating. Um, and I found myself actually 
you know, Googling a lot of like, is this real? Yeah. Did this happen? Um, which I think when, when a fiction, you know, fictionalized book makes you do outside research, then, you know, it's like super juicy. <laughs> We're going to put that um, on the cover. Like exactly. When a that's fiction a book makes you do <laughs> super juicy. Happy. <laughs> Abby Wright, exactly. Um, talk to me about, I know your brother helped you a lot in this process. Um, what was your brother instrumental in helping with? So I have two sisters and one brother. And actually, um, I mean, they, they all kind of helped me and gave me feedback in different ways. But my brother is in his third term of being a member of Cincinnati's city council. So, you know, an elected position. And so he really knows campaigns and elections and, you know, political office from the inside. And so I could say to him, like, it's, it was such a weird thing where sometimes I would have to write scenes to kind of know what I didn't know. And so I would say, you know, if there's a senator in the book, who on the senator's staff calls her by her first name, you know, who calls her senator who is there some other thing that you know do people call her ma'am or whatever um so like that might be a question or i might say like if somebody is running for congress i mean obviously this is there's a lot of i don't want to give too much away but there's there's various elections and campaigns in the book and like if somebody's running for congress um who are the first, you know, two or three people they hire to run the campaign? Or if there's, you know, if, if somebody's like, uh, you know, very involved member of the Democratic Party in whatever state, what what's like a social get together where they would see other people who are really active in the Democratic Party? And, and, and some of it, like I could probably guess, but I just wasn't sure. Or he, he also one time kind of walked me through how fundraising works. And and then, and then actually, so my older sister is an environmental lobbyist, the good kind of environmental lobbyist <laughs> in Washington, DC. And she also like flagged a few, like she read an early draft and flagged a few mistakes, including saying like, there was a building I named where the person, you know, cause you can't fundraise in your own office. And she's like, no, that's not, that's not the right place that they would go. They would go to this other, other place. Oh, thank God for siblings. I know. I know. Well, I have to say, I also should say, so I end up talking a lot about, um, you know, the books that I read, but I also, I have two female friends. One is almost exactly Hillary's age and one is closer to my age. So she's a couple years older than me. She's maybe almost 50. Um, they both are law professors and I asked them so many questions and they were so patient and it's, and even like one of them, you know, was drawing um, sort of a map of what a legal aid office might look like or saying like, this is, you know, a plausible sentence that a law student would say to a professor. And they were both, so my friend's names are Rebecca and Susan. They were extraordinarily patient and generous with their time with me. Not just my siblings, also my friends. Not just your siblings, you've got friends. (laughs) Yeah, so... We've talked about American Wife and now Rodham. What for you is so great or so powerful about a reimagined history? Um, and did this writing of this book help heal you at all from the pain and devastation that I think we all felt in 2016 and continue to feel 
today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I feel as if, for the most part, American Wife is very fictionalized. You know, it changes names, it changes geography, it sort of creates all these very personal scenes that I certainly was not present for. And so it's, you know, they're made up. I believe the technical term is made up. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, you know, Rodham is more like a speculative, speculative fiction. Like it, it kind of takes his real life history and, you know, swings away from that and goes down a different path. Um, so, so again, there's like huge, overlap between the the two books but there there's something about their premises that I think is different and then there's also you know I wrote Eligible which is a modern retelling of Pride and Prejudice and then of course I wrote several other books that have no kind of like real life or fictional you know (laughs) antecedent I think I think something that's interesting to me is it is interesting to take a person or a story that many readers are already familiar with and reimagine it because it sort of, um, you know, deepens or complicates the conversation that the reader and writer are having on the page. Um, And it just like, I know it's like, I know you have, you know, thoughts or opinions about Hillary, whoever you are. And so it's my, opportunity to say well like let's have a little thought experiment together and you know maybe maybe I'll confirm some of what you think maybe I'll challenge what you think you know maybe maybe you'll find this all to be like nonsense but you know there it's just sort of like it's a different conversation than me saying here are characters that you have never been exposed to and didn't know existed and and almost like you have to believe what I tell you about them because you don't have a sort of pre-existing opinion. And did you find it easy to get inside the head of Hillary Rodham Clinton? I would not say I found it easy. I I found this to be the most challenging book I wrote just in the sense that the scope of it felt really large. And there were times when I would just think, I'm not sure what to do next. Like not, not even like, I'm not sure what scene to write next, but almost like, I'm not sure, like, or like not, not what to put in the scene, but like, 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 I think I'd be like, is it 1991? Is it 2015? Like, why am I here? Should I finish this? Should I give up? Um, wait, there was something as, wait, what was the, what was the other part of your question? Which was, um, like, how was it to get inside her head? There's a, Hillary campaign podcast from 2016. It was actually made by the Clinton foundation, but for me listening to that after the fact, so not during 2016 when I actually didn't know it existed, but after the fact, it really helped me hear her voice. And the reason I think it helped me hear her voice is that the person who's interviewing her, the host of the podcast, whose name is Max Linsky, um, is, you know, he doesn't pretend to be objective. He's clearly a fan. It's made by the campaign. You know, he admires her. But it's it's such a weird experience to, especially, I'm sorry to say, for like an adult male to ask questions of Hillary and show clear admiration and respect instead Mm -hmm. of being kind of 
just having this undertone of skepticism or cynicism or yeah, condescension, antipathy. And there's something, I mean, it's literally almost jarring and Mm -hmm. makes you realize this is like the screen through which she's always presented. Um, And because, you know, she's treated very respectfully, she seems much more relaxed. And so I did feel like I could, I could hear her voice the most clearly by listening to that podcast. I mean, sort of literally and Mm -hmm. symbolically. You also, in your acknowledgments of this book, reference other books written by Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, um, Kirsten Gillibrand, and of course, Elizabeth Warren. Two questions is why, um, why did you choose to write about Hillary rather than, you know, another influential female politician or, or woman in the, in the public eye? And, um, you know, is there anything that we can take away from what we've just seen happen? These incredibly talented women who, again, have been pushed out of the presidential race. Um, you know, is there anything hopeful ahead of us or are we just sort of doomed to repeat what's happened to Hillary in 2016? <laughs> and I know this is a big question that you probably don't have an answer to, but... Well, the, the um, first question is easier to answer. So you know, almost like, why did I write about Hillary instead of about other women? I I mean, I think that I specifically thought it would be interesting to imagine a world where Hillary hadn't married Bill. And that was a very specific idea. Like, I don't, I I think I always have a specific idea. And then I either move forward with it or reject it. But I wasn't thinking to myself, I want to write about a powerful woman, which powerful woman, you know, um, I mean, in terms of the second question, I will say that I think, you know, I think there was the 2016 election and I think, you know, Hillary was often, you know, faced a lot of criticism or skepticism or was, you know, treated um, disrespectfully and subject to sexism. And then I think in the 2020 campaign, um, I actually think a woman running for president seemed much less like a novelty, like it had been normalized in a way where I do think Hillary took hits for women who come after her. And I think even sometimes there would be like a sexist, you know, public encounter or article or something. And people would say that's sexist, like that's in men and women, like people like in a way that I don't think people would be so blunt with Hillary, but I think there was more pushback. So I think that the tone of the elections felt different, even though the outcome was like, you know, and and now there's, um, you know, one older white male um, going to be the nominee. Yeah. 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 But so I, so, I mean, I hope that maybe we are headed in the right direction. I mean, I, I certainly feel like I, I would, love to have a woman president I I mean and frankly I would love to have like a democratic woman president um yeah I mean it's kind of a complicated thing to think about having a republican woman president it's certainly it depends I mean I don't know I've never in my life voted for a republican um so yeah (laughs) turning that over in my head I know I know it's it is kind of a weird thing to kind of think about like yeah but yeah um, so what do you hope readers come away from this book 
with either a thought about Hillary or a thought about our democratic process? Um, I mean, I guess there's two things. One, one thing would be, uh, you know, I, I do think that we collectively, like the American people, have somehow decided that Hillary is uh, a symbol, not a person. And I think, I think it's like, actually, no, she's a person too. And I, I think, um, you know, it's just like, I, I do think one of the things fiction does is remind us of how complex we all are. And, you know, we, we all have tender feelings and we all have like secrets and we all have, you know, things that we hope happen or don't happen or embarrassing moments. So I think I think it's just sort of like, you know, thinking about about her in a really sincere way and kind of giving her credit for being this true trailblazer, um, which I, I always do want to acknowledge, too, that there are so many people who really admire Hillary. And I think I think, you know, she's talked about as like she's so polarizing, which is I mean, I don't know, it's sort of true, but it's 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 almost like polarizing is used as a sort of quasi euphemism for she's so unlikable or she has so many critics, which to some extent is true, but it's also like she has so many admirers and fans. And I think that it's not acknowledged how many she has because such a high proportion of those fans are women and girls. And so so it's just like not taken seriously. Like who, who, you know, it's, she's a Shiro. She's not a hero. Um, So, so there's that, that I just, I kind of, you know, want Hillary to be given credit, which again, as, even as I say this, I think someone could think like, Oh, you know, you, you really respect all her, like trailblazing. So you decided to write a book about her making out with men, like, be that as it may. But then, um, I mean, the other thing is, given that this book is coming out during a pandemic, I feel like another special thing that novels can do, which it's it's hard to find the right novel, or like, I think all of us can be more fickle readers during this time. But I think if you find the right novel, it can feel so gripping and it can transport you to another world and make you temporarily forget what you're worried about. And you know, feel a connection with other humans, you know, sort of across, across geography and time and, and just kind of feel like, you know, the, there are these universal qualities that we all share. And, and like, maybe this is a, you know, like this, this scene reminds me of something from my own life, but like, I also forget my troubles at the same time. And that's, that's like a special thing. And so I, I would love for Rodham to be that novel for, it won't be that for all readers, but for some readers. Well, and finally, I will just ask, do you hope Hillary reads the book? So I I think if Hillary um, wants to read the book, I would be happy for her to read it. Like, I, I don't I mean, I think I think she, she is she's like a busy person and has important things to do. And, you know, if this book, I, I assume, you know, I, I know she follows the news very closely. I assume this the book will you know, be on her radar at least. But if she, if she wants to read it, great. If she doesn't, I I fully respect that. Like, like maybe, you know, maybe she's busy helping women get elected in 2020. So, and (laughs) I, I, I support that strongly. (laughs) Um, Well, the pandemic 
historical fiction novel, uh, I, I remember. Um, it's As Bright as Heaven by Susan Meissner. Oh, interesting. I'll look that up. Yes. Okay. And it's set during the 1918 pandemic in Philadelphia. Huh. Um, what year so did it come out? It came out, I believe, last year oh, or possibly in 2018. Oh, wow. Thanks, yeah, Abby. So, no problem. <laughs> Um, and what, if anything, are you reading right now or what's on your bedside table that you can't wait to get to? Um, so I'm reading two books right now. I'm reading, um, Writers and Lovers by Lily King. Have you read that? It's right up here it's, on my shelf. It's so Awaiting good. me. I ordered it from bookshop.org just oh, to support bravo, some local. Bravo. So did I. You know what? Actually, I think I ordered it from Majors and Quinn, which is an indie in Minneapolis. Um, and then... Um, I'm also a friend of mine gave me Bobcat by Rebecca Lee, a story collection, which I, I had not read. And it's it's so I'm sometimes I'm like, sometimes I feel that I'm in the mood for a short story. Sometimes I'm in the mood for for a novel. And I actually I usually am like reading like fiction and nonfiction at the same time. I did start. I think it's called, is it called The Great Influenza by Kevin Barry, the sort of historical, which I am. Yes. A part of me is like, I don't know how many nitty gritty medical details I can read. I mean, I just in terms of my own anxiety level, but it's I I would like to educate myself on sort of the context of what we're going through now. Totally. I I think sometimes right now, all I have uh, attention span wise, is, you know, room for a short story. Yeah, yeah. Um, Well, Curtis, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Um, I just think this novel is phenomenal and powerful. So thank you for writing it. Thank you so much, Abby, for talking to me. From Penguin Random House and Read It Forward comes The Adaptables, a show that dives into the most buzzed about book to screen adaptations. The Adaptables brings together authors and insiders to discuss each episode of the show the makings of a great adaptable, and discuss why watching and reading are important self-care rituals. Hosted by two binge-watching and book-loving besties, Abby Wright and Emma Schaefer. Season one of The Adaptables features the Hulu adaptation of Celeste Ding's Little Fires Everywhere. And season two dives into the Hulu and BBC adaptation of Sally Rooney's Normal People. Tune in for TV and book chat and interviews with best-selling authors like Taylor Jenkins Reid, Camille Perry, and R. Eric Thomas, and other authorities on books and shows you love to binge. You can find The Adaptables anywhere you listen to podcasts or visit readitforward.com. Check them out on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at readitforward. Thank you for listening to Books Connect Us. For more great book recommendations and information about your favorite authors, feel free to follow Penguin Random House on social media or visit penguinrandomhouse.com. And if you've enjoyed what you've heard, go ahead and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps more listeners to find our show. This podcast is produced by Pat Stango and edited by Clayton Gumbert. I've been Erin Leaf, and until next time, this has been Books Connect Us.